Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, my friends. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. Please join me at lifeovercoffee.com. That is our sanctification center. That is our coffee shop full of resources, a lot of free content. Please make sure not only do you check it out, but you share it with your friends. I had someone write in a big question, and I'm going to share it with you in detail in just a moment. It's also a sensitive question, too, and so she asked that I not use her name. Glad to do that, so I'll not use her name. But I do want to share what she asked me because it is important to all of us who have children. I've titled this episode, is 459, by the way, 12 Things to Know About Parental Discipline. And so let me get into this question that this lady asked me, and then I want to detail it out. And I hope that this will benefit you. Uh, for all of you who have children, those of you who are thinking about having children, this is an important episode for you. And so, again, you can make your way over to 459, 12 Things to Know About Parental Discipline, and you can read the show notes. Of course, there's the podcast and the video, too. Here's what the anonymous lady asked me. She said, I am hoping you can help me understand something. I am a mom of young children. Over the past couple of years, I have felt a firm conviction to stop using spanking as a tool for discipline. My parents spanked me, and I know how useless it was in disciplining me, so when I became a parent and used that tool, I struggled to do it. But in the Christian culture, it is just assumed that the Bible commands us to spank, so most believers do it. When my husband and I did more research, we decided to stop using spanking in our home. While that has been life-changing for our family, I, I still struggle with why Christians say the Bible commands it and so Christians do it. When I look into the Word for guidance in this area, I don't see any example of a spanking practice. I see the opposite approach with the prodigal son. I also see how Jesus loves and protects children. I don't know a place where he commands us to spank them when they misbehave. I sit in many mom circles, and when this topic comes up, moms don't know why they spank. They just do it. This topic has brought me so much confusion, and I am willing to change my view if the Lord leads me that way. I need help understanding why I should spank if the Scriptures command it. Or am I right in believing that the verses in Proverbs are being taken out of context by the believers who practice spanking? Thank you for your time. I hope you can help. And again, uh, we have signed this anonymous, and I'm glad to do that for uh, this lady, but I'm also glad she's okay that I worked through this question with you all because, again, as you as you know now, it is a whopper. And so as you go to episode 459, I do want you to know that I have a whole list of scriptures on parental discipline and parenting. And I would encourage you to uh, check out this, this list of uh, scriptures. Also, if you don't know this, you can hover over uh, the scriptures on any of our articles. If you just put your 
uh, cursor over the uh, verse or verses, uh, it'll pop up for you in a little nice pop-up box where you can read it right from our website, and you don't have to leave our website. And so there's a lot of scripture there, and I would encourage you to check it out, not just on uh, the rod, as you might imagine, but also uh, just many verses on uh, parental discipline, uh, the restorative work that we should be doing uh, as parents with our children. And so as I titled this, 12 Things to Know About Parental Discipline, before I get into those 12 things, I, I do want to make this point because there, was, there were several things that jumped out of the letter that she wrote me, and maybe the most astonishing thing about the question was the comment that she made about moms who do not know why they do it, they just do it. Now, that was somewhat frightening to me because Christians function in faith. And what I mean by that is that we, we do not move forward in any decision that we make without moving forward in faith, meaning we believe that what we are about to do is what we are supposed to do. And so faith is uploaded with knowledge. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul said in 1423 of Romans that if you, I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, when in doubt, don't. That if you move forward in doubt, it would be a sin to move forward. And so that is an astonishing comment that this lady made, that these women, these mothers do not know why they do it. They just do it. They're moving forward, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but they're moving forward in ignorance, not in faith. And we don't want to mimic what everybody else is doing, whether it's within the Christian community or the culture. We don't mimic behavior just because everybody is doing it. That is a bad rationalization for doing anything. No, we want to be biblically informed. And as Christians, we can be biblically informed, and we can move forward in faith, believing that what we are doing is the right thing to do because the Bible is informing us. Not only is the Bible informing us, the Spirit of God is illuminating us. And when we are unclear, we can do as this lady is doing, and, and we can reach out to the community of faith. And so biblical decision-making is a, a multi-perspectival uh, operation. We have the Bible, the canon that informs us. The Spirit of God illuminates us. Uh, we have the community of faith that's speaking into us. And you see this balancing act going on. And then fourthly, our own conscience as we listen to our conscience. And so with those four things... In most all cases, we can come to a faith-filled decision and we can move forward in faith. But it is never appropriate to say, I do this, but I don't know why I do this. And I thought that was quite astonishing. Now, maybe there's an implication here that I'm reading into it as well. And the implication is that the husbands are not involved in this process. And so if these moms do not know why in one sense, it reflects back on the husband's lack of leadership. I mean, the husband is the primary discipler in the family. He sets the tone. He sets the pace. He leads the way in the hierarchy. Even though husbands and wives are, are totally equal before God, there is a hierarchical structure within the family dynamic, and 
It's upon the husband to lead well. And so if a mother is sitting there saying, I, I spank our children, but I do not know why, then it does reflect back on the husbands and their lack of leadership with the wife and lack of leadership and the disciplining of the children. And by the way, that reflects even further back as you continue to move up the hierarchy, that that is a picture of God that we do not want to communicate, specifically God the Father. And so if the husband is not leading, he is a picture of God the Father in the family, and he should be uh, coming alongside his wife and helping her so that she can move forward in faith, and they are fulfilling the complementary role of husband and wife in the family, and they're doing it the right way. And so anyway, that jumped off the page, along with a few other things, and I'm going to get into those right now. Again, as I've titled this, episode 459, 12 Things to Know About Parental Discipline. I want to roll through these 12 things. They're not in any particular order. I trust they will benefit you. Also, please share this podcast or video Share these show notes with a friend, uh, young mothers, dads. Dads need to dads need to hear this uh, because again, that was probably the the most significant thing that this mother said uh, when she's talking to these young moms. And so, please share this with fathers uh, so they can uh, step up to the leadership responsibility they have in their families. All right. So, number one of twelve is the goal. The goal of parental discipline is redemptive and restorative. Redemptive in the sense that we want our children to come to know Christ in a salvific sense. Well, salvation doesn't perfect our children, and so after they're saved, they need ongoing restorative work. And so the goal of parental discipline is twofold, redemptive for salvation and then restorative for their ongoing sanctification And so the purpose of parental discipline is we want to orient our child's heart toward God. And so whatever your parental discipline is, the question that you want to be asking is, and what I doing to our child, is it orienting their heart toward God or is it orienting their heart in another direction? Now, the parental discipline that this mother was speaking of, as you heard, uh, the word that she used was useless. The parental discipline of her parents was useless. Now, another way of saying useless, it did not orient her heart toward God. Now, I don't know the inner dynamics of her family. I don't know how discipline was administered. I mean, obviously, she was spanked some way, somehow. I'm not saying that spanking's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. It, apparently, it's not right in her situation, the way that she was reared. The end result is, is not the result that what parental discipline should, uh, should do, have an effect on a child, is that it should orient their heart toward God. So that, that would be number one. It should be redemptive and restorative. Number two, no parent should discipline out of anger. Now, what I mean is sinful anger. Obviously, there is righteous anger. And so if you are angry uh, at your child and you want to know if it is uh, redemptive or righteous anger versus sinful anger, there are some ways that you can uh, 
address, uh, analyze this. In fact, I have an article here in the show notes that distinguishes between righteous and unrighteous anger. As I look at that moment with Jesus in the temple, and there are a couple of things about uh, Jesus's anger in the temple that makes it distinctive. It makes it uh, obviously it was righteous anger, not unrighteous. I mean, we already know it's not unrighteous because Jesus was sinless. But why was it righteous? Well, one, it was humble. Jesus was operating from a position of humility. And so if you get angry at your child, humility should be fueling. It should be what's operating in your heart. And of course, that will fuel your words and the things that you say and do with your child. Uh, another aspect of righteous anger is that it is restorative, and you see that in the text with Jesus in the temple. And then finally, it is communal. Righteous anger is communal. The people who saw his anger, who ex- some of the people who experienced his anger, they came to him. They were drawn toward him. And so righteous anger has a drawing effect. It doesn't scare people out of their wits and make them want to run from the angry dad or the angry mom. And so no parent should discipline out of anger, meaning sinful anger, and there is a way of distinguishing between sinful and righteous anger. And again, if you want to read that article, it's here in episode 459. Number three, no discipline should be abusive. And I just wanted to make that as a line item. Apparently, I well, I'm assuming that this lady, the abuse, the discipline, the spanking that she received was more along the lines of abusive, meaning that it was harmful. It didn't orient her heart toward God, but more than not just orienting her heart toward God, it was harmful to her possibly harmful to her physically. I know that the spanking that I received as a child was harmful. Some people would categorize it as abusive. I realize that the word abuse is such an elasticized word that it encompasses almost anything. Uh, But I'm speaking of physical harm. Uh, My dad was physically harmful to his children Uh, to to his five boys, and so his discipline was not restorative. It did not orient my heart toward God. His anger was not righteous, and uh, he beat us. He just quite frankly beat us. Uh, What we would have to do, the way that the euphemism, you would go out and you would get a switch. And when you went out to get a switch, it meant that you went out and cut off a a limb, a a piece of a, a tree, Uh, a smaller piece of a tree and you're always torn between the smallest ones would would cut and sting the worst where the larger ones were more blunt Uh, and so you had to wrestle with you know and you you got to pick your own uh, disciplinary tool uh, which was torturous enough and so you you always waffled back and forth between a a a thin limb and a a thicker limb depending on did you want to get cut and stung or you just wanted to be bruised and battered no discipline should be abusive, and, and it could be that this lady has gone through that. I'm particularly sensitive to that because, well, I went through it as well, and not only is it no fun, but it doesn't have any redemptive or restorative value. Uh, it just 
it can really just create hate in your own heart toward uh, your own uh, dad or whoever is administering the discipline. Number four, each child is unique, and so there is no one-size-fits-all. There's a passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 where Paul talked about the small-souled individual. And the idea is kind of common sense that our physicality is different from person to person. Well, our non-organic selves, our spiritual selves, or our souls will be different as well. You have some children who are more stubborn or more complex or more sensitive or more tender. And so when you administer parental discipline, biblical discipline, you want to make sure uh, that you are understanding the uniqueness of the child that you are disciplining. There are some children where you could just say a a properly well-fitted word and it can accomplish all that you need to accomplish. And then there are other children that need uh, more strenuous uh, administrations. And so you have to take that in consideration because uh, if you do the one one size fits all, then, well, that's just bad because you're not discerning uh, the uniqueness of the child that you are disciplining. Number five, you must follow biblical decision-making expectations to build your convictions. Now, I've already talked about this earlier, meaning you must be in faith. You build your convictions based on the Bible. As I was saying earlier, you've got to know why you do what you do, and Christians should. There is no place for ignorance within the Christian community. I mean, if you are a believer, then you are growing in your understanding of the Bible, and when you come up to these more important decisions that you have to make, like parental discipline, then you want to activate those four accountability structures to make sure that you make the right decision. Those four structures I mentioned earlier, the canon, God's Word, the comforter, the Spirit of God, the community of faith to help affirm, teach, guide, and then your conscience. And that's a good way to remember it, those four C's, canon, comforter, community, and conscience. And so you build up your conviction so that you can step forward in faith, particularly in this subject, that you discipline in faith. Number five, you must follow biblical decision-making expectations to build your conviction. How do you make a decision to build your convictions? Uh, again, if you're unsure or want more information on that, go to episode 459, and I have a one-hour webinar there. There's information there that you can access on how to make a biblical decision. Number six, don't make your experience normative. Especially don't let your experience overrule God's Word. Now, what I mean by that is what this lady was doing is that she was she was doing two things. She was making her experience normative, meaning this is what happened to me. Therefore, I don't want to do that. And I've seen that so often with parents particularly, is that they take what happened to them, they map it over their present circumstance, which is an overreaction. And so it's like they they overshoot what Scripture says uh, because they are reacting to what happened to them. And I, I had a mother tell me one time that this is how I was reared, and so I chose to rear my children completely differently, and that was 
bad, by the way, because she overreacted so much that she spoiled her children, which ended up she was really cooperating in the ruination of her children rather than letting the Bible inform her. She was letting her experience inform her. And when we do that, we're going to overreact to our experience and do something antithetical to what the Bible teaches, even though it's antithetical to how we were reared. And so number six, don't let your experience overrule what God's Word says. And then number seven, don't make historical passages or uh, parables normative. And so she did this with the prodigal son. Well, in the prodigal son, well, first of all, that's a parable. It's it's, it's a fictional, it's a made-up story And so what I mean by making historical passages or parables normative, meaning this is what the Bible says in the prodigal son, so this is how you do it, meaning that I'm going to have a party every time that, you know, my son comes back from riotous living, or that's not the point of that passage. And we don't want to read Scripture that way. Some people will read Gideon and, you know, Gideon threw out a fleece. And that's how they make decisions. They throw out a fleece and they use that weird language. Uh, it's misfitted language. It's, it's, it's beautiful language from the Bible, but it's weird language when we fit it into, well, this is how you make a, a decision. And so when you make a, you read in a historical account in the Bible, Uh, You know, Samson didn't shave his head. Well, then we should all have long hair. No, that's not the point of the passage. That's not the parental discipline is not the point of the prodigal son. And so we want to be careful exegetes when we read Scripture. We want to dig down and see what the passage, the point of the passage. A passage only has one point, not many. You can make several applications, but you want to be very careful because when your applications make that passage normative, you're missing misinterpreting the passage, and now you're misapplying the passage as she's doing here with the prodigal son. Number eight, the Bible doesn't lay out a spanking mandate. The Bible doesn't lay out spanking protocols saying that uh, this is the way that you are to do it, and then it details how to do it. And so we want to be very careful. We don't want to we won't, don't want to steer to uh, land into either ditch that we're supposed to spank, and this is how we're supposed to spank with a rod. We're supposed to do it this way or land in the other ditch that we don't spank at all. And so we want to be very careful because where the Bible is gray, and it is gray as far as detailing out what the protocols of spanking are, there aren't any. And so we want to step into these passages with carefulness, with humility, also with community input when it's needed so that we are making the right decision for the right child. Uh, there is a kind of an exp- implied thought in what she was saying, and I was thinking about it as I was sharing her question uh, with you, that she's saying that the Bible doesn't say I'm going to use the word explicit, though she didn't say that, that the Bible doesn't explicitly say that we should spank, therefore we shouldn't spank. And it's almost like she's reading the Bible like a code book, like it has to be spelled out or uh, we can't do it at all. Well, you know, that would be 
the, the Bible cannot detail every aspect of our lives, uh, or the Bible would be the most humongous book that you've ever read. It wouldn't fit into any of our homes. The Bible's not a marriage book either. Uh, some people say, well, why there's, there's not many passages on marriage? There aren't. There aren't many on marriage. There's not many on parenting. There's not many on discipline because that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a book of how to live a godly life, and so we have to, with carefulness and humility, enter into all of these texts, collate and assimilate them, uh, have the unique interpretation for each passage, and then carefully make those applications without doing harm to the text. But by making those applications, it's not a given that we are never to spank. It's not a given. You can derive that from the text, but then how we spank, the Bible doesn't give us those protocols and doesn't detail it out for us. Number nine, one of the goals for your family is to create a no tolerance for sin early in your child's life. And if you have uh, young children, infants, by the time they're at 12 months, you should be already creating a, a no-tolerance-for-sin worldview in that child's life. Children come into the world like you and us. They come in as sinners, totally depraved. And maybe it would be helpful to do some studying on the doctrine of depravity. Our culture teaches that, that people are inherently good. The Bible does not. The Bible is 180 degrees from that. People come into this world totally depraved, totally broken, that our desires are self-centered, we are fixated on evil, and, and so that's how we come into the world, and we're going to continue to bend that way. And so it's important on parents to create a no-tolerance-for-sin worldview early in the child's life because if you don't do if you don't start, I'm not talking about spanking. I'm just, I'm just talking about communicating a worldview that distinguishes between good and evil. And so when they do evil, they need to know that they have done evil because here's what's going to happen. If you don't instill that worldview into their young lives when they get older, it's going to be very hard to bend. I talked earlier about an orientation toward God, and even though you're not spanking your nine-month-old child, you are bending that child through how you communicate to them with an orientation toward God rather than an orient orientation uh, to getting whatever their evil hearts desire. And so you want to begin that early on. And there's many parents that are listening to this now, and they're thinking, yeah, I wish we had done that because we found it's a lot harder uh, to shape a child once they get past three, four, and, and, and every month past then, uh, past two years of age, if they don't have that worldview of good and evil and orientation uh, toward God, distinguishing between good and evil. By the time that they're two years old, it's just going to get more and more complex as you try to discipline this child as their hearts continue to crave self-centered things. Number 10, your primary early goals are not obedience anyway. What you're doing is you're trying to create these this undercurrent of character in the child's life. 
Uh, let me give you some words here. Humility, respect, honor, kindness, deferring, love, gratitude, and a servant's heart. You're trying to communicate those in the child's life early. It's not about obedience. I mean, you can get obedience. I mean, you can just spank them in like the way this mother described the way that she was reared, and I'm sure she was quite obedient in her early life, but as she said, it was quite useless as well. And the reason it was useless is because there weren't these undertones of humility, respect, honor, kindness, deferring love, gratitude, and a servant's heart. Let me give you two illustrations of that. One of the things that's been vital in our family when our children were little is for Rick and Lucia, the parents, to model serving, uh, to create a serving worldview, not through not just through demonstration, but also to uh, direct our children to serve one another, to serve others. That's just one illustration. We talked about it all the time. Uh, encouraging them to serve, motivating them by grace. When they serve, we identify it, isolate it, talk about it, uh, because we want to create that attitude, that worldview, that perspective. Another thing that that I did is that uh, the way that I uh, talked about it is there's there's two ways you can sin against your mother. Uh, you you can sin uh, against my wife, or you can sin against your mother. Uh, if you sin against your mother, that's one gradation of sin. But if you sin against my wife, uh, well, then hell's coming down. Uh, because I wanted to create a dist- – I wanted them to know who this person is in our home, that she is she is uber special, uh, not just your mother but also my wife. And you honor and you respect her, and there is no tolerance whatsoever. You don't talk back. Uh, you don't speak, and and by the way, our children don't. They haven't done that in years, more than a decade now. They haven't talked back to her. They're never sassy to her, uh, because that was instilled in their young hearts when they were very young. But see, our goal was not primarily obedience, but in this case, respect. I illustrated also with a servant's heart. And when these undertones of humility, respect, honor, kindness, deferring, love, gratitude, servant's heart, and you can continue to build out that word cloud uh, as you think about parental discipline. But as you focus on those things, then obedience becomes the natural outflow. And by the way, the obedience is tied to something more than just fear. I'm going to obey because I'm afraid of my dad, or I'm going to obey because I respect my mother. And so you're trying to create these heart attitudes underneath. Number 11, Your encouragement of your child should be exponentially more than your discipline. Now, we just had a a tongue-in-cheek rule of thumb that, you know, 10 to 1. And so for every time that we disciplined our child, we uh, wanted to encourage them 10 times. Now, I don't want to make that legalistic, but it gives you an idea that your encouragement must be exponentially more than any discipline that you administer to your child. By the way, a good parent-to-child question that you could ask, and I would encourage all parents to ask this question to their children, goes like this. What do you experience more from me, my encouragement or my discouragement? Now, that is an excellent leadership opportunity for all parents to say, hey, when you think of me, uh, what do you 
uh, think about what do you experience more what do you believe you have experienced more for me my encouragement of you or have i been more of a discouragement to you and if you're really serious about parental discipline and if you really want to get this right then this question needs to be asked it needs to be not just a conversational starter it needs to be an ongoing conversation uh, because again you want to make sure if they're experiencing your discouragement more than your encouragement, and then you come along and discipline on top of that, uh, that's compounding interest in the worst kind of way, is complicating their complicated lives because they do not feel encouraged, and the weight of that discipline will not be redemptive and it will not be restorative. Number 12, discipline is a picture of the gospel. And what I mean by that is that discipline teaches the children the weight of sin and an appreciation for Christ for taking our punishment. If there is no penalty, if there is no punishment for sin, then there's no weight to it. There's no consequences to it. There's no reason for Christ to die on the cross. And think about where our culture is today. They don't care anything about right or wrong. They can just walk into a store and just plunder it and walk out with no sense of consequences, no sense of fear, no sense that it is wrong whatsoever. I would, I would want to use that illustration and say that's a hyperbolic illustration, but it's not hyperbolic. It is reality. Our culture is doing it right now because there's no appreciation for sin. There's no delineation between good and evil. When you discipline your children, you're letting them know there is a hell and there is a heaven. There is a right. There is a wrong. There is good and there is evil. And somebody came to take that sin away from you. You do not have to be punished for sin, either now or ultimately, by walking in paths of righteousness, by choosing the right way. And in the most salvific sense, by choosing Christ so that you end up in heaven. And so parental discipline is a picture of the gospel. Our children need to know that God is saving them from something. And so you want, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to draw clear lines between good and evil. So when they do evil, they must understand what they did is wrong. And when they do right... They must know that they got it right because, again, your encouragement is exponentially more than your, than your punishment or your discipline. This is episode 459. Twelve things to know about parental discipline. Let me wrap up with just a few quick questions. Number one, how much does your experience inform your parenting practice versus the Bible as your primary influence? Number two, how much does the snowflake self-esteem culture influence your decision-making? The soft-pedaled culture where everybody gets a trophy and your word, words are violence and silence is violence and, and uh, microaggressions and et cetera, et cetera. We're such a soft 
culture, and if we're influenced by their culture, by the culture, uh, then there there are no clear lines. It, it, there's not good and evil, and, and everything is just assimilated into this mush of nothingness. And uh, well, we see the effect it's having on our culture. We don't want that effect on our children. Number three. There must be punishment for every sin. Why is it important to let your child know that when they sin, the father punished the son, and you're teaching them a clearer view of the gospel by punishing them for their sin? Number four, will you work through the scriptures? If you go to episode 459, I had a whole list of scriptures there. I would love for you to at least hover over them to get the pop-up box, but even more, Uh, to go into those scriptures and begin to build out your own worldview and practice. Number five, will you talk to your spouse about what you have heard here? And then you begin to develop together your uh, worldview on discipline and then also perhaps speak to a spiritual leader, someone who can guide you. Episode 459, 12 Things to Know About Parental Discipline. Thanks so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.